Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries Podcast. You're about to listen to another message from Pastor Isaac Worley. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. Have you guys ever had this expectation for, um, for somebody to do something for you, to really show up and help you out? And then when it comes about time, it really isn't at all what you're expecting. They really kind of drop the ball on you. Uh, let me tell you a story. I, I would just, uh, I think it was my, it might have been my junior year of high school. Sarah and I were dating. We've been dating for quite a long time. Uh, but I think it was maybe my junior year of high school. Could have been my sophomore year. But we... I had this friend, and he was in culinary school. This guy was an amazing chef. This guy is such a good chef. And um, uh, I had this great idea. Back then, I really tried to wow Sarah. And uh, (laughs) that sounds so bad. Uh, So I came up with all these super good uh, uh, dates where now, I mean, it's usually, you know, we we really hit the limit whenever we're going to um, that movie theater with the dining (laughs) The Alamo. It's like, wow, Isaac, you really went all out on that day. You know, I was like, yeah, well, you know. Um, back then, though, I'd do some crazy stuff. I, I, we went on chariot rides in downtown Kansas City. Um, we went and, oh, I don't even know. We did, we did a bunch of different stuff. I decorated um, my, my living area of my house uh, with, with candles that spelt out prom question mark. I mean, I really, I went all out for this girl, and see, it worked out, so I'm <laughs> just saying. Um, really, really banking on somebody to do something for you, and they bail on you. Well, I had this friend, really great culinary school guy, uh, really great chef, and I had this idea. I was like, hey, you know what? How about this? Could you, could you be our personal chef for a night? And he's like, oh, I like that idea. I was like, I'll pay you good. Um, and I actually don't know. Maybe I gave him 50 bucks. I mean, I'm guessing that's pretty good. But uh, I was like, I will buy all the food. So I went and bought, like, the nicest steaks I could. And, and uh, I said, you send me all your ingredients all the way down to the spices and everything. that You're going to marinate. You're, this, everything. I will buy all the ingredients, all the stuff, um, and I will make sure that your kitchen, you have everything you need, and then I'm going to set up white tablecloth and candle. I'm going to have, uh, a, you know, candlelight dinner with my girlfriend, and you're going to be our personal chef waiting on us. And I meant, like, full-on, like, if I'm paying your 50 bucks, like, white tablecloth around the forearm, walk in, can I do anything for you, sir? Like, I'm expecting everything. Um, having someone not show up when you need them to and you're really banking on it. Let me tell you what happened. We, uh, <clears throat> this is just not at all what I was expecting. I, I paid him the money, got all the ingredients, and so my family had like this, this uh, like a study. And where you walk in, you know, there's bookshelves, like this really elegant, really nice, uh, um, huge desk. And so I, I got all that out of there, out of this room to where it just looks like a really nice um, room, and I put a table down, white tablecloth, candle, two seats. I got it all set up. I have his kitchen set up and ready. I made sure my family um, was gone to where it was just Sarah, me, and him, Uh, and he's doing the cooking in the kitchen, and we're having candlelight dinner, and comes comes the night, and he walks in. You know, he's all suit and tie, and I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, I'm like so pumped, and uh, he he gets the, the appetizer out there. 
I don't even remember what it was, but it was amazing. It was so good. And, I, and Sarah was like super impressed at this point. I was like, yeah, well, you know, Jerry right next week. And uh, so I was super pumped. She was enjoying it. Uh, he brings the entree out, this just juicy steak. And I think there was like asparagus, like really nicely done. And like, I mean, he even decorated like with a few leaves on top. Like, I mean, it looked amazing. Presentation and all, 10 out of 10. Gordon Ramsay would have been impressed. Yeah. Wow. And then he pulls up a chair and he sits down and he's just looking at us. And I'm like, all right, that's all. Thank you so much. He's like, tell me what you think. And I'm like, cut a piece, you know, eat it. I'm like, so good. Thank you so much. Awesome. So, hey, what do you guys have planned for the rest of the night? And he just starts talking. And I look at Sarah and Sarah looks at me and she's like, this is what's, what's going to happen. He spends the entire dinner with us, and I'm, like, giving him, like, suggestions, like, all right, you know, candlelight dinner, one-on-one, you know, uh, trying to wow this girl, and, uh, but no, he wasn't feeling that at all. He honestly hung out with us the entire dinner, and uh, I think actually a part of it, he got us, I think, uh, he made some cheesecake, and he actually said, hey, could I have part of yours? I'll go get a third plate, and I'm like... (laughs) I paid for it, but sure, you can have a, you can have a piece. And so he's not, not I'm not kidding uh, when I say not only was he sitting there hanging out with us, he got a plate for himself, and he's having a meal with us. You really bank on someone to do something for you. You really have high expectations, but you find out they're false expectations, and they didn't do anything what you were wanting them to do. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, okay? Um, Luke 24 is where we're going to be at. Um, and this really, we see this a lot in Luke 24. Uh, we have this, these, these guys that have this expectation for what God's going to do for them. And in their mind, God didn't show up and they're bummed. I think we do this with God a lot. We have this expectation that God's going to do something for us. God's going to show up in a certain way. And when we don't see that happen, we get, dis- we get disappointed. We get discouraged. We get frustrated. We do this to God a lot. We have high expectations, false expectations of things that he never promised us. And then whenever he doesn't deliver, because he never promised it in the first place, we're discouraged, we're frustrated. We see that in Luke 24. Um, So the question I really want to look at tonight is, everyone know Easter's coming up? Everyone know Easter's coming up? It's in a few days, if you didn't know that. Uh, This is the monumental holiday for the Christian. That and, that and Christmas. I want to talk about what, what, do, what do we look to whenever we celebrate Easter? What are we celebrating when we celebrate Easter? And not only Easter, but I mean, really the weekend is a holiday. Uh, Friday is good, good Friday. And if you don't know much about Good Friday, this is the time when Jesus, uh, we are celebrating a time when Jesus died on the cross for us. Okay, that's Friday, and then Sunday, we're celebrating that he rose from the dead, and new life, showing a resurrection, and he's showing that he conquered death for our sins, that we can be in relationship with him, and so this is, this is the celebration that Christians have on this weekend. So the question that we really need to consider tonight is, what are we, what are we celebrating as Christians on Easter? What do we think Jesus did for us? What do we think Jesus did for us on that Good Friday? And what did Jesus do for us when he rose from the dead uh, three days later? What are we expecting from him in him doing those things? 
Because if we have this false expectation that because Jesus did this and because I'm a Christian, this is going to happen. If we have this false expectation for what the cross means and what it represents and what it does in our lives, if we have this false understanding and this false expectation because of that and because I'm a Christian, that was never supposed to be the expectation in the first place. We're going to be discouraged and disappointed when Jesus doesn't show up in that way. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll kind of explain more of that tonight. Our hope in Jesus for the wrong things. That he died so that we could enjoy maybe something that he never died for us to enjoy in the first place. Uh, if we have that hope, we're going to be discouraged. And so uh, what, what are we celebrating on Easter? What did he really do on the cross? If you're there in Luke 24, that's where we're going to be at. Uh, and I think it's going to be on the screens. Otherwise, just, just follow along in your... Uh, the scripture in front of you if you have it with you, but we're going to start in verse 13, give you some co context. There um, are two guys who really misunderstood what the cross meant. They really under misunderstood what Jesus dying on the cross did for their lives. They really misunderstood Jesus dying. They had this completely different idea of what he was going to do in their lives, because they misunderstood, because they had this false expectation, they were disappointed and discouraged. Uh, and we see that there's one misunderstanding, one misunderstanding I want to talk about, two disappointed guys, and three actions they make whenever they realize they had the wrong understanding of the cross. Let me say that one more time. One, misunderstanding of what Jesus did on the cross. Two, disappointed men. And three, actions that they make when they realize what the cross actually means. Cool? One, misunderstanding. Two, disappointed men. Three, actions. Verse 13, it says, Now that same day, two of them, that is two disciples, two people that believed in Jesus, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself, Jesus had just resurrected, come back to life, he had died, spent three days in the grave, came back to life, and now he goes and finds these two disciples, two people that believed in him, and on the road walking to Emmaus, seven miles back home, and he finds them on the road. Jesus himself came near and began to walk alongside them, but they were prevented from recognizing who he was or recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other that, while you're walking? They stopped walking and they looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked them, obviously playing dumb, obviously knowing because he's the one that it's happening to. He's the one that was crucified that everyone's making a ruckus about. He goes, uh, what things? You tell me. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Get that. We were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. 
They arrived early in the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, for them, the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went and stayed with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. It was whenever he was having communion with them. Their eyes were open and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to one another, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord truly, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he, had t- how he had made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So I want to look at tonight the one misunderstanding they had about what the cross was. There's two disappointed guys, two discouraged guys because of what they misunderstood and then three actions they had after they found out what the cross really was and what it really meant, three actions they had. But I can't really talk about the one misunderstanding they had until I talk about who had it, the two disappointed guys. So let's focus on the two disappointed guys first, okay? Everyone cool with that? Let's talk about the two guys that were discouraged or disappointed. How do we know that they were dis- disappointed or discouraged? Well, they were walking back from Jerusalem three days after Jesus' death. So Jesus died the person they believed in and trusted in, and three days had gone by and to, since Jesus died, and now they decided to walk back to their, most likely, their home in Emmaus. They'd given up. That's verse 13. It really says that they started walking back. <clears throat> in this time period, to give you a little bit of historical context and all that, uh, in this time period, these guys, and really just Jews in general, they believed that the spirit of a body, a person, it's kind of weird, but just track with me here, the spirit of somebody hovered over their person for three days while they were dead. That's kind of like, the, that's the Jewish, Jewish myth. That's the belief uh, that the Jews had. Because back then, you, couldn't, you, you didn't have all the medical procedures to check pulses and really make sure they're dead when they're dead. And so uh, they, they would have these people that would be buried in these coffins, and they'd put them in their tombs, and then they'd find out some mummy's walking out, and they're like, he was raised from the dead, you know? And he's like, no, he just woke up. He's barely alive, but he's alive. And so, uh, but at, at three days, they really, they found out if they're still sleeping, they're probably sleeping for good. And so uh, they, but they believed that that three-day period that was whenever people would resuscitate, they just really weren't fully dead, uh, so they believed that the spirit was hovering over their body for three days, and after three days, the spirit would leave. But in those three days, it's possible that the spirit could come back into them, and that they would wake back up. 
That's the belief of the time. Well, three days had passed. They're like, Jesus is definitely not waking up. His spirit has just left him. It's been three days. It's time to give up. We're going back home. We're going to Emmaus. Okay, so these guys had given up. And so they're walking back seven miles. They're walking. And it even says whenever Jesus comes and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? It says they looked at him. They stopped. They looked at him. And they were discouraged. They were disappointed. So these guys were obviously beat down, discouraged, distressed, low in spirit, whatever you want to say. They were down. They were disappointed. Because Jesus didn't do what they were expecting him to do. They were expecting him to save Israel, to be Israel's redeemer. At this time, uh, Israel was under oppression from the, the uh, Roman Empire, and so they were expecting the, the understanding the Jews had uh, that the Messiah would come and he would save Israel from the Roman oppression. So really, they believed that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be a, a political savior, that he was going to be somebody that would save them from the oppression that they were having in that time, and Jesus didn't do that. He's dead in the tomb. And so in their minds, it's time to give up, it's time to walk back. We had two disappointed guys because Jesus didn't do what they expected him to do in the first place. And I think, just in a very general sense, kind of getting real with you guys, I think that that's pretty relatable. When we have these expectations on Jesus, that he would do something in our lives and he doesn't come through with it. Because that's what we had in mind, not what he had in mind. We have these expectations and he doesn't do it, and therefore we become the disappointed people. Because God didn't do what I thought he was going to do. In a very general sense, we become pretty frustrated and angry at God. Even if it's wrong to be angry at God, we become angry at God and frustrated at God. Because he didn't do what we thought he promised he would do. I had a, I had a conversation with somebody two nights ago. A friend from back home. He is really wrestling with this exact thing right now because his best friend, someone that also graduated with me, we were all in the same class together, um, died a couple days ago. Car wreck, highway in Kansas City, uh, semi-merged over, hit his car, and he's dead. My friend was best friends with that guy. And so I called my friend, and I said, hey, I know, you're, I know you've got to be hurting. You just lost Sean. And I know you guys have been best friends for years. And we started talking about God. And this concept came up. I'd, I'd say calling him disappointed would be saying it lightly. He's pretty angry at God right now because God didn't show up in the way that he was expecting God to show up. That God didn't do what he thinks God should promise to do. And so, right or wrong, we have these feelings of just disappointment. God, you didn't do it. God, you didn't save him. God, you didn't fill in the blank. We have these expectations for God and he doesn't meet them because he never promised he would in the first place and so therefore we're discouraged and we're disappointed. That's these guys. 
They had this expectation that Jesus was going to be the Messiah that would save them politically, save them socially, that they wouldn't be oppressed by the people that they're oppressed by, that he would save them from all the social stresses and all the people that were pushing down on the Jewish people. They thought he was going to save them from that, and they were disappointed to say the least when he didn't do that. High expectations for somebody, they don't show up, and we become disappointed. That was what they, that's where they were. So two disappointed guys, let's talk about what their misunderstanding was, though. Their misunderstanding, their frustration with God. Well, they misunderstood what he came to do. They misunderstood how he was going to be their Messiah, how he was going to save them. Jesus didn't come to save them politically, to save them socially, like they thought. It says in verse 21 that they they were hoping that he was going to be the one that would redeem Israel, that would build them this, this nation of people back up, and he didn't do it. And so Jesus kind of corrects them, this misunderstanding of uh, what he really did come to do. And so it says that he started from the Old Testament, and he starts going through and explaining how he fulfilled what Israel always needed, actually. Not this political salvation, not this social redemption from all these people oppressing them. They needed relationship with God because they were evil, sinful, destructive people, and they needed God to redeem them, to, to be with them, and that's what he came to do. So he starts to explain this and, and give them this idea of what this looks like. They had this misunderstanding of what Jesus really was supposed to do. And if we look at it in our own personal lives, we can start to put these false expectations on what Jesus is supposed to do in our lives and what him dying on the cross means for us. We can start having these mis- misunderstandings just like these guys did. They thought... That Jesus dying on the cross would mean an easier life. That they thought that Jesus coming to be their Messiah would save them from the oppression and the pain and the hurt that they had in this life. They thought that Jesus was going to save them from the hard life that they had. He died and never gave them an easier life. We can have this expectation that Jesus died on the cross, and so if I believe in him, my life's going to be easier. We have this misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian, what him dying on the cross did, and therefore we become disappointed and discouraged because you didn't end up doing what I thought you were going to do. I thought you were going to make my life easy. I thought you were going to make my life good and and filled with all these blessings and all these things happening to me. We can have this misunderstanding and become pretty disappointed in it. And so it comes back to the question, if you guys are still tracking with me here, what are we celebrating when it comes to Easter? What is it that Jesus really did on the cross for us some 2,000 years ago? Because if we misunderstand that, we're going to become disappointed. He didn't die on the cross so that we would have an easy life. And if that's what you think and that's what you're expecting, you're going to be disappointed. If we think that Jesus died on the cross so that whenever we believe in him, all these blessings and all these great things are going to happen in our lives, we're going to be disappointed. And he will not come through all the time with that because that's not what he intended to save us from. 
if we have this misunderstanding that Jesus is dying on the cross, he did it just so that we could have some wonderland after we die. That's just beautiful and just awesome and so pretty. We, we misunderstand what he really died for us, died for, for us. <laughs> there we go. We need to know exactly what he died for. And Jesus starts to explain to the men that it was to make Israel be in relationship with God. Now catch that, okay? I, I really want you to catch that. Don't, don't, don't miss that. Don't miss that. Jesus died so we can be in relationship with God forever. That's what we get from the cross. And if we're discontent with that, if we're not happy with that, well, first we need to really consider what it really means to be in relationship with God because that's actually an amazing and a glorious thing. It's better than we could ever expect to be in relationship with God. That's what he died for. And I think some people might be like, that's it? Like he didn't, he didn't die on the cross for, for me to have an easier life? He didn't die on the cross so that I could fill in the blank? No, he died on the cross so that we could be in relationship and, and have this communion with the God that created everything. That's it. As if that's not a lot. That's everything to us. Now picture this scene, okay? I don't want you guys to miss this part. So there's two guys that are walking. They're disappointed in, in what Jesus didn't do for them. So they're walking away from Jerusalem where Jesus was and is, okay? So they're walking away because they're disappointed. God didn't give them what they wanted. They're walking away from the most amazing gift that could ever be given to them. They're walking away from that because they wanted something so small as an easy life. Because they didn't get that, they're walking away from what they didn't know to be the greatest thing ever that they could ever experience. And that's relationship with the God of the universe. And so Jesus starts to explain to them, no, you guys misunderstand. I died so that you can have relationship with God. And then there's three responses that they have because of that. And so you can, you can write these down if you want. Realizing that he gave them something greater than they ever asked for. They were asking for one thing, but they didn't realize it was actually nothing in comparison to what he was really providing, and that is relationship with God forever. They realize that, and there's three responses, three responses that I think we should mimic. Three responses that should also be with us whenever we consider what Jesus dying on the cross for our sins does for us when we realize that, when we are so overwhelmed with the reality that Jesus died for our sins, that he died to be in relationship with us. These are three responses that they had, and I think we should also have them. The first one is that they had internal excitement. If you, if you look in the, in the text, I don't remember what verses it is exactly, but it says uh, that they were like, was not our, our hearts burning within us? as he was explaining this to us. So talk, Christians, let me talk to you real quick. Does your heart burn when, when you start to think about how God died on the cross for you to be in relationship with you? Does that stir internal excitement and passion? And I'm not saying it has to like, 
you're like, oh, something's broken in me because I am just not getting super goosebumpy every time I think about the cross. I'm not saying that. You don't, you don't have to feel that. But, but if you don't feel any excitement or any concern or any, any, any excitement when it comes to thinking about being in relationship with the God that created everything, we can become numb to that. And, and we should see here that, that a response to realizing that God would die for us and give us eternity with him, the one that created the galaxies that are um, millions and millions of light years away, that he created all that, and he loves us, and he died for us to be in relationship with him, and now we have that communion, and if our hearts don't burn a, l- a little bit in a, with excitement about that, we should, we should check our spiritual pulses. I think one response when it comes to really seeing why he died for us and what that does for us, it should lead to internal excitement. The second one is that they had a passion to tell others. The first thing that they did, it said that, that first hour when they realized that who he was, they, they ran and they got up and they ran to go tell the other people in, back in Jerusalem. Now catch this though, it was getting nighttime when they were still walking on the road. They sat down, and tradition is that you would wash, wash the, the guests' feet, you would prepare the meal, and back then it wasn't just like a little cracker and a little bit of juice that you take. Communion was, it was the, the, the multiple courses, meal. So there's like seven courses, I think it was. I don't remember exactly. So there was preparation for all that, and then there was having the meal, and... Uh, so this is, this is later into the evening now. If it was starting to get dark time whenever they were walking, after sitting down, having the meal, it was nighttime. Jesus disappears from them. They realize who he was. It says that they get up and they run back to Jerusalem that very hour. That's seven miles. <laughs> nighttime. After just walking seven miles, they turned around and ran that seven miles back that same hour to tell those disciples back in Jerusalem what had happened. When you realize what Jesus does for you, that he died on the cross, that you would have a relationship with him, there's an excitement to tell other people. And, and then third, they, they focused, whenever they were telling other people, they were focusing on the cross. It said that they, they started to explain how he revealed himself in, in the taking of communion and taking uh, the, the, the elements that represented his body and his blood shed for them, and they started to explain all this. So really, they, they started telling the disciples, that just the people there with them, all about how he died for them. Their, their message to these people were focused on Jesus' death. And so I think also our message to our people that we're excited to go tell should be focused completely on Jesus' death. So tonight, we're, I'm wrapping up here. We should know why he died. What we're celebrating for when it comes Friday, Good Friday. We should know what the resurrection means for us. Or else we're going to be disappointed and discouraged because we expected something else. There's so many Christians today. Get this, please, because it might be you. You might think that being a Christian means that you're going to have an easy life or that bad things won't happen to you. That he's going to save you from the oppression that is this social life that you might have, just like these two guys had. Socially, they were, they were oppressed. And they thought Jesus, trusting in him to be their Messiah, trusting in him would mean that they would be saved from that and their life would be easier. 
They were disappointed to find out that was not at all what Jesus promised them. I want you to get this, okay? Please don't think that trusting in Jesus to be your Messiah, to be your Savior, please don't think that trusting in Him means that your life's going to get easier. Because it very well won't. And you're going to become disappointed and angry and frustrated and a God that didn't deliver and he didn't show up and do what you expected him to do in the first place. But it's because he never promised that he would do that. He wouldn't make your life easier. He never promised that. But if we really truly understand rightly why he died, it's because he gave, to give us relationship with God. If we understand that, that is the one reason why he died for us. If we trust in that and believe in that, there is no disappointment because even if you have problems and pain and struggles, you have God with you. As we celebrate Easter, as we celebrate Good Friday, let's not misunderstand why he died on the cross. So that we wouldn't be disappointed and discouraged when bad things happen to us. Let's think about how he died on the cross to give us relationship with God and therefore we should have an excitement and a passion because that gift is way better than just saving us from the pain and hurt that we have. Have an excitement in us, an excitement to go tell other people, and then always telling them about Jesus dying. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at ecchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.